Hello, everybody. Hi, all the new people. Oh, we're so happy to have you here. It's the H Word Podcast. It's Monday morning. You're happy. You're listening to the podcast. It's Monday morning. Oh, I hope we're in sync. That's going to sound fucked up. I'm Becky. I'm Dan. And um, it's just another normal Monday on planet Earth. That's right. <laughs> Good morning, Earthlings. Good morning, aliens. I hear you're among us now, the Pentagon told us. Yeah. Do you know the details of that? Um, y- A little bit. It involves some 41. Oh, Tom uh, Morello? Whichever one is into the UFOs. Uh, yeah, it's the same videos that he leaked and then... The Pentagon said they're real. I actually haven't done too much reading about it because I think it's a false flag. Is that the right term? <laughs> I don't know what that term is. What did you say? Oh, no. I said false flag. I'm probably just saying a bunch of online. Oh, false flag. Yeah. Um, uh, a false flag, I believe, is a military term des- uh, describing um, a negative event that distracts you from a bigger negative event. Oh, that's what I mean. Oh, okay. But... I wouldn't say that the discovery of UFOs would be a negative event. Unless uh, you think they're invading, they're hostile. Uh, well, it's it's another event. It's another event anyway, to distract you from the negative event. Like it's meant to it's meant to like uh, obfuscate. Like do you think it's meant to obfuscate COVID or the president? <laughs> well, there's a lot of things it could be obfuscating, like Okay. But yeah, there's a lot of like bad business going on. I've been reading about conspiracy theories a lot this week. Mm. And I'll tell you one thing, it does not make me feel hopeful. (laughs) So we're not allowed to talk about it. Well, I kind of don't want to talk about it, but that's like my weird suspicion and paranoia. Because when you're dealing with like people who think that everything is coming to them in code and nothing is literal, then anything you say feeds into that delusion. Yes. And I don't want QAnon trolls coming after me. Yeah, no, I mean, I I don't think they're worth giving much breath to. Well, but in a way they are because it's a big movement. We don't have to, but... Yes, but this is the balance, right? Uh, Did you hear about Errol Morris's new documentary? I did not. So he has a new documentary. It's on Canopy, or it was uh, two months ago when I watched it, called American Dharma. Okay. It's it's him, uh, and I'm putting it in quotes, taking on uh, Stephen Bannon. Steve Bannon? Uh, Stevie. Stevie B. Stevie. Stevie B. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not very good. I am a huge Errol Morris fan. <gasps> oh, no. And the movie is not very good. Um, because it's it grapples specifically with this idea. Do we give the crazy people attention because they're gaining momentum? Uh, or do we not give the crazy people attention because it will hopefully, um, you know, uh, wipe them out like a, like a disease? Well... This, I mean, this is the question of the moment, right? Like, yeah, because the with without giving these conspiracy theories attention, um, they they still have a very fertile world in which to spread, which is the internet. So it's not the same as it used to be. Like the the media, I don't know. I I just I've been thinking about this a lot, and I don't know the answers. I've been getting messages from people I know um, about protesting five G. Yeah. So it's getting out there, it's circulating, and it, it needs to be addressed. I think it's, pe- I mean, people burned down some 5G towers in Quebec. I know. So if we don't talk about it, 
within the conspiratorial thinking, not talking about it and talking about it both have the same effect because there's so much yes. confirmation bias, right? Yes. So you should, we should know how to talk to the people in our lives who might believe in these things that aren't true. And I'm right. mad. I'm mad because I like thinking about weird magical stuff, and I feel like it's being robbed from me. Mm-hmm. It's but. being co-opted to uh, further political aims as opposed to be fun. Uh, be fun. Yeah, I want to read about cryptozoology, and I don't want to feel bad about it. Wait, cryptozoology's out now? Well, anything with a cover-up. Oh, I see. <laughs> it just, it, to me, yeah. it feels like... Unicorns are real. Release the unicorns. <laughs> Release the unicorn cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it just feels to me like, uh, like, for me, indulging in those things is becoming, like, kind of feeding into this whole world of they're not telling us. Yeah, and you know, this is kind of overlapping with my uh, feelings about fiction in general. Is oh that my God. weird? No, I want to hear more. Well, I, uh, as a movie watcher, uh, you know, most of us are, film, uh, uh, consumer of media, um, I am so much less drawn, over the last five years, I'm so much less drawn to fiction than I am to documentary. I would say the same about myself, although it's been a consistent... It hasn't increased. It's been mounting, but I always had. I was always quite drawn to documentary. Right, and I and I think there might be some overlap here, uh, because I have, <laughs> as someone who makes so much fiction. Yeah, me too. I I feel like when I consume fiction, I'm like, oh, what's the point of this? Oh yeah, and this is tough because if we start naming names, it could affect our. I mean, do we have careers anymore? Uh, no, we don't. Oh, well, then it, we can't. Well, we might, we might together have a new career where we're sort of like uh, stacked on, like children in a trench coat, you know? You, you and I? Yeah. Package deal style. You think so? <laughs> I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm doing some uh, cryptozoology right now. Um, well, like, oh, so like, oh, wow, that was a long walk then. So you're saying that we are like a Godzilla? <laughs> Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying we individually don't have careers, but maybe some hybrid version of us uh, walking around with the arms of Becky and uh, the stomach of a Dan, we might have a career. Oh, Dan tummy and like some big concrete feet on so that we leave a weird trail behind us. Yeah. And a straw hat. Yeah, because we want to be a approachable cryptid. This is great. Okay, so. Um, I've been feeling like this too, but do you not feel, and this is dangerous because this is the work we do. Do you not feel that fiction is getting kind of worse though? Like, like it's the algorithms that are creating so much of what we consume are making it less good. And there are obviously exceptions to this. Yeah. I I don't, I, I I don't have my finger on the pulse enough to, uh, argue that realm. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly can't, I do not feel at all like I have a survey of like what's quote unquote, what's out there, you know? No, that, that's impossible now. Content is king and queen and executioner. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. As the saying goes. That's right. Um, well, I've been, I've been finding myself really drawn to, um, fiction of the past as far as films go. Sure. And is that comforting nostalgia or is it because it was actually better? Um, 
I think both of those things, actually. Um, I think it was really good. I've been watching The Sopranos, as a lot of people have. Yes. And I've never seen it before. Um, okay, that's uh, that's great for you to experience for the first time. What a wonderful place to be. Yeah, and I, I also think I'm not alone in that. Like, it, it came out in, what, 99? Started in 99. Yeah, so the, this is, like, specifically, like, that's the year that I moved to California and lived in the woods. Then I moved to Toronto and lived in a basement. We certainly didn't have cable. We definitely didn't have HBO. I don't even know if we had it. We did have a television with a VCR. And, like, one of my roommates worked at Suspect Video, so that's what we watched. But we didn't have mm-hmm. The Sopranos. So this particular period of time, I was out of the loop. Um, and so it's not nostalgia for me because I didn't live through it, except it's totally weird to realize how much my father for sure styled himself after Tony Soprano in ways that I didn't know. <laughs> okay. I can find some pictures. It's it's weird. Um, but... Uh, it, it, it's it occupies a space in television making where like theater and television were closer. The acting style is definitely a hybrid. Some of the characters are fucking huge, and then some of them mm-hmm. are smaller. But none of them are that tiny dead face TV acting that we're used to now, right? Um, I don't know. Tony is the most like that. No, it's a different kind of dead face. He dead has like face. A, he has like I mean, a, yeah, he's not dead-faced. He has like a theater dead face. Like he's a dead face on purpose because Tony, the character, is feeling dead inside or angry or something. But it's just this sort okay. of flat, say your lines, don't have any emotions thing. Like when you, Well, look at Edie Falco. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so heartfelt. It's so big and it so works. Or that weird guy who's always pouting. Who was like? Uh, you mean that's that's uh, little Stevie from <laughs> Speaking of Stevie's. That's from the E Street Band. Yeah. Stevie Van Zandt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. character is so big. And you're like, I'm into him. Sure. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's enormous. Sill, I believe. Silvio. Yeah, Silvio. That's what you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so rewatching these things, I also feel like, I feel like a lot of people are looking back, uh, a lot of the people I've talked to have said they're watching like old films. Um, Itor is doing a, his own French New Wave festival that I keep wanting to be a part of and I'm working in here in my office instead. And, uh, but I think that if we have a sort of an incubation period of a couple of years of all of us watching this stuff, maybe we can come out and kind of go back to some of the lovely parts of it. Mm-hmm. This is, yeah. I, there, I had a hopeful. I didn't think I had one. Look at that. I mean, it's a cultural one that's like just about actors trying to figure out what the fuck their lives are now, but. Oh, this is specifically about actors. Well, acting, writing, I mean, it's about cultural work. And right. I can't speak to music. Music might be fine, but that's just not my world. Yeah. And and I would I would argue that there was as much crap being produced in the years that those great things came out that, you know, if you were to take the highlights, if you were to take the Sopranos of today and, uh, you know, two years ago, it's like you would see, you know, you could revisit those and have just as much of a quality experience um, and you would learn as much. And so it's like, I think the, yeah. I think statistically the numbers are still there, you know? Oh yeah, that's fair. And yeah, I don't know that it was a better time, but there are certain qualities, like there are trends and qualities that we move away from, right? And I guess the point is, regardless, is that we have this time where, like you were saying, like, I don't have my finger on the pulse of what's happening now. It felt like there was a rush to do, like I, as a working writer or actor, I had to know all this different work and know all these different tones. And now it's like, well, I can just sit back and watch the things I've never seen. 
Yes, yes. Film school is always a, a positive, I think, in terms of, you know, you're creating new things. Right. So this is like film school, you mean? Yeah, right? Isn't it? Yeah. And I never went to film school. I went to yeah. clown school. <laughs> <laughs> and you found a way to bring it up again. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Steve Van Sant School of Pouting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah sorry do i talk about clown school too much <laughs> well i mean no it's funny it's uh, it's you know it's what you did you did it i went to film school oh yeah and i mentioned it how was it it's good you know watch a lot of cassavetes oh yeah yeah i was having a talk uh this week with a friend of mine about alpha al- the alpha male um, oh, are there any examples of that in cinema? <laughs> but speaking of Tony Soprano, uh, uh, what you know in my in my letting go of um, my reverence for difficult men uh, in reality, right. you know, um, uh, Cassavetti's being one of them. Right. Um, I also have to come to grips with the fact that I still fucking love Tony Soprano. It's okay. Like, yeah, well, it's interesting because it comes on the heels of Michael Je- of Michael Jordan's documentary coming out, right? You see the the loneliness of the alpha male, um, and it's not enviable when you see it writ large in this in this realistic, feeling way, um, and and yet uh, it's like there's something tied to. There's, I don't know. I was having some idea about the conflict between making history and making a life. Whoa. And Yeah. And it feels like there are certain people generally, typically, uh, it, when it comes to men, it would be a kind of alpha kind of personality that is interested in making history. And then there's this other approach where it's like, but I'm interested in making a life. Uh, and I think that there is uh, maybe a future in which those two things merge. This is this is super interesting because like I've I've been thinking about this. I've th- thought about this a lot during my life because it's also the, like the career and legacy versus life and work. Career and legacy versus life like, and work. Yeah, I've I've always found it confusing the idea of building a legacy because you won't be here for it. And I mean, like if you can leave good things in the world for other people, great. But the idea that you want your face on money or something, mm-hmm. and people do. And I'm like, but what does that do for you? You spend your whole life trying to have something exist when you're dead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that can be extended to kindness. Um, I think, and I'm also not going to name names here, but there are, I've, you know, interacted with certain people who just are stuck in the notion that art is more important than people. Right. And so it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice my uh, kindness, basically, in favor of this work. And I, as a teenager and up into my 20s, was very much of that opinion. Right. That, that people were less important than art, and that's fine. And now that's shifted for me. And so I see these people who are acting in that way, and it makes me, it makes me feel, like, sad for them, but also, like, angry that that is still rewarded and and also angry because i want to know more clearly the path to great work well there's so many i suppose there is i just need to experience them it, it, like because as i have 
as I have shifted my priorities to people being more important than art, I've actually made less art. But you made you know? good. You've made good work, Dan. Well, then, I, yeah, that's not what I'm. Uh, that's not what I'm after. I'm, I'm just. I'm just noticing that I have less of a grasp on the path. Huh. Well, maybe there was no path ever. Maybe there was no path ever. Yeah. Because the thing that I find interesting about, say, like, like performance is that. And and both you and I do improv. So improv it lives an absolute ephemera, and it's all about the moment there with the people you're with. It doesn't even really – it's not even that good as far as keeping it around. Like, you know, you don't improvise great scripts that you want to just shoot word for word, right? Exactly. Um, but it's interesting to me that people who do the same thing can have – like the, the same vocation can have that relationship to it or the legacy one. Because people who do great work can have that relate the temporal yeah. the temporary relationship. People who do the same who have the same vocation can either relate to it as this is a very important moment to share with an audience, or this is how I'm going to be remembered. Ah, uh, oh, I see. The yes. idea of being remembered, I have no interest in. In fact, it's scary to me. Like it's just once I'm gone, I want to be gone. <laughs> I'm going to be gone. So what does it matter? You know, again, like leaving good messages, teaching like the children in your life good things. This is an important legacy work, but like setting up foundations that support people, whatever. But having like a bunch of statues of you is mm -hmm. strange to me. And I forget how many people are motivated by that. It, to yeah. me, it feels like pollution. Statues are pollution. Yeah, like, you know, there's that whole, like, walking in the woods thing of, like, you, you want to be low impact. You want to – actually, this is this is a good metaphor. When you walk in the woods, if you're, like, walking along a trail that other people have walked on, you see a big muddy patch, you're supposed to walk right through it. Because if you don't – What do you mean you're supposed to? To be low impact. Because if be you, low impact. if you don't walk through the muddy part, you walk around it, you expand the muddy part. Hmm. You just push it out. So this is like, that's like, this is a hippie from the woods thing of got to just walk through the mud puddle. But it also means that, that, um, the, the path that's already been there is fine. You don't need to make a new mark and you should not make a new mark. You should make as few new marks as possible. That's like an ecological outlook. But I think about yeah. it in the world too. And you can make positive impressions on people, but like leaving a bunch of shit everywhere it feels like not the goal. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, but yeah, hmm. I'm just trying to reconcile this with with the creation of an artifact. Like it's it is someone's it is someone's work and often great work to make a statue. Yeah, I guess what are the statues for? I mean, like Yoko Ono is making this beam of light that she shoots up into the sky or something. And there's a really lovely message behind that. I don't know how I feel about it. I keep wondering what's powering the light because I guess I have thoughts like that. But, but Liberal tears. <laughs> but, then, but then there's also like, yeah, but then there's also like a bunch of like statues of Stalin. That doesn't seem useful. That's just about, I don't know, fear and oppression. Have you ever been to Washington, D.C.? Oh, my God. Nothing looks more Soviet. Oh, yeah. Except for like the Soviet monument in Berlin. You ever go there? That um, looks super Soviet, let me tell you. Oh, the one in Trap Tower Park? Uh, like it's I all made out of kind of red marble? 
Yeah, it's enormous. Like, it's a huge... You get a huge spatial feeling when you walk in. It's this manicured lawn and it goes up to this giant Soviet monument from when they liberated this or from when they came into the city. Oh, I, I, I've i seen a Soviet monument. It might be the same one. There could be I'm multiple. sure it is. I'm sure it is. Um, well, I guess the things do look more Soviet, but I was shocked by how, <laughs> by how, by how like Russian and Soviet Washington, D.C., like the mall looked like the one time I went. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're, yeah. It's like, you guys made this giant thing of Lincoln? I mean, cool, but like, what? <laughs> Planted tree, dudes. Yeah, dudes. It'll last longer, like in a way. That's nature's sculpture, man. Yeah. The Lincoln are going to come eat Lincoln. Oh, that was good. That was good. Got a title. <laughs> <laughs> good. I'll stop texting you at two in the morning asking you to title the episodes. You want to hear the interview I have? Yeah, please. Um, it's with Graham Clark from Vancouver. Ooh. I know. It was great. a lovely chat. Nice to hear what's going on in the West Coast. And actually, I think I forgot, but it ties into a lot of our themes. So that's great. Excellent. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Becky. Bye. Bye. everybody it's becky i'm back and i'm really excited to have from all the way across the continent in vancouver my friend graham clark graham hi hello hi how are you i'm okay how are you um well i'm maintaining a chipper vocal quality yes you are yeah absolutely it's fake it till you make it baby yeah yeah it sounds like sunshine and rainbows where you are um, yeah, actually, I've noticed that on the podcast, when I listen back, I'm like, I sound cheery because I think that that's maybe, I think that that's what a podcast is supposed to sound like. Right. Yeah. Um, also, also, I am quite happy while I'm recording. Yeah, I can, I get that. I can, uh, I can appreciate that factor. Like, it's nice to talk to friends. It's nice to talk to you. And it's nice to feel like I have a job, perhaps? Yeah, that you have something that you have to do that's that feels like a job. It feels like a, an a obligation. Yeah, yeah, an obligation. A vocation. Yeah. Um uh be, being a contributing member of society, perhaps. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's weird to not to have like the type of work that people do slash down the middle to essential and non-essential. In, oh yes. In just like uh, a couple of months, like it's. I think people are equally mystified that they're on the essential part of the spectrum and not on the essential part of the spectrum. And I think there's been a lot of uh, existential crisis that's going on. Where do you feel like you are? Essential or non-essential? Definitely non-essential. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, who are you? Who are you in this world, Graham Clark? Introduce yourself, please. Um. My name is Graham Clark. Uh, I was up until recently a uh, stand-up comedian. Uh, I also am a podcaster. I've also uh, I do some writing. I uh, a bon vivant, let's call it. Um, you know, a man about town. A man about town. That's right. Oh, not a man about town. No one's a man about town anymore. <laughs> I know, and that's that's why it's hard to be a man about town because you can't, you can't, you can't simply not. So how is all this sitting with you? Um, you know, I think uh, for a lot, same as a lot of people who are in entertainment, that it's just everything stopped 
and nobody knows when it's going to start. And then if it does start again, nobody knows how it's going to work. And I mean, there doesn't seem to be anybody that's at the forefront of any of the things, you know, like all Broadway productions are closed until the end of the year. So there's no kind of who do you look to? How are they doing it? Uh, Are they doing it right? Or are they just desperate to reopen and all that kind of stuff, you know? Right. For live work. I mean, we're seeing like television, SNL was doing stuff and all the late night shows. Mm -hmm. But you, um, what's the name of the show at Havana? Laugh Gallery? The Laugh Gallery, yeah. The Laugh Gallery. So that's a Monday night show that I went to when I was in Vancouver. It's really lovely and it's um, intimate. Yeah, absolutely. It's a nice little black box theater uh, in the back of a restaurant and it's like... um, kind of the only space like it in town so it's a a privilege to be able to do a show there but you know when will i be able to do a show there again i have no idea how how, um how have you been doing shows no uh none like no. no zoom shows or i did try a zoom show and i really it was not for me um yeah i get that it is for some people and they're just happy to be in front of whatever kind of audience, but I just, I didn't get anything out of it. So I was like, I'll just leave this to the people who enjoy this and I'll <laughs> mosey on down the road. Yeah. Well, and your work very much like, if I may say from the outside, it's like you ride the crest of the energy from the crowd. Like you really, that's very central to yes. yeah, the absolutely. way you perform. It's also essential to the way I write because uh, oh, wow. I like to go on stage with a very kind of skeleton of the idea and then i let the pressure of the situation kind of help me mold where the punchline is and also just listening to the audience and how they respond kind of lets me know which direction to take it right yeah okay well i i actually hadn't thought about this thing that you just said about nobody's modeling the path to success yeah totally okay now i get it i have not missed the live stage so much right yeah. But I was kind of taking a little break away anyway. Yeah. Like, do you find, I feel like this is a thing that a lot of people may be going through. I don't know for a fact, but that you looking back on things, there's things that you miss and then things that you definitely don't miss. And that that's kind of instructive about what you should be doing going forward. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely feel like that. Like, you know, both of us, our work also, the live work happens at night, mm-hmm. obviously, right? Yeah. And um, I have had two straight months of nights home. We haven't gotten takeout, which I feel conflicted about, but I we haven't. Right. And I mean, two months of cooking with my husband, we've never had that in our 18 years together. Yeah. Yeah. And like- And it's nice. It's nice, right? Thankfully, yeah. thankfully, in my situation, <laughs> I do feel bad ever saying that things are going okay, because they're they're not. We've had very difficult moments, and my emotions are all over the map. But yeah, and for a lot of people, like it's been, I know, a lot more devastating than it's been for myself. So I'm always I'm trying to keep in tune with that fact. Yeah, um, and there's something about like you know the sort of internet culture of only posting your successes that right. is troubling. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's um, it's just such a it's a weird time because 
like we're unplugged from our daily routine, but we're very much more plugged into the social media than we were before. Like, it feels like that's the only way that you're keeping in touch with people, you know? But the, but also, yeah, absolutely. But also it feels like the social media has become just even just a little bit more honest. Yes. Yeah, I like, think that's true. It's it's not so much of how look how good this is going. Yeah, like I've and I've painted my face in a way that will only look good if my phone photographs it with a ring light. That's right. You know, there's like more rough around the edges, and also people's like nerves are being frayed in a way where they're just being honest with each other instead of political. Yeah, and there's uh, I read like a really good article I think from Vice, and it was about a woman who realized through all this that she is very tired of the hustle that her life was like that she had as we all do in the arts you have eight or nine things that you're juggling all the time and and that's not healthy (laughs) you know and i think a lot of people are realizing that yeah well that's the thing when i hear i've heard i've heard sort of like so i was relatively underemployed all the time right and I hear a lot of people who are like, you know, at home with kids and it's way too much. And when I kind of understand the amount of work that they were doing to begin with, right. it's like, this this seems like it was unsustainable one way or another anyway. Why are we asking people to work this hard? <laughs> yeah. like There why, are some people yeah. who don't have any jobs who want them. And then other people are being asked to work like just... Like sleep four hours a day and work the rest. Yeah, and also work with the constant fear humming in the back of your mind that this is very dangerous to be working like that, you know, out in the public, especially people who are getting paid maybe a little more than minimum wage to be yeah. uh, risking their health uh, to work at whatever, a grocery store or a pharmacy or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah it's... It's weird. There's, everybody's stressed. <laughs> well, like, and, and even people who are getting paid a ton, like, you know, lawyers and stuff. It's like, well, the amount that you have to hustle to make partner. Like, it's the mm-hmm. hustle, the hustle. It's like, this. I, I still don't think that we're going to jettison it completely, but it's good to have it reassessed. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's, I think it's one of those things that is perpetuated always by the person that you see doing it. You know what I mean? Like, if everybody's locked down and stuff, nobody's hustling, so it's fine. And everybody feels kind of a relief. But as soon as things kind of open up, there will be people who are doing, you know, they're at 100 times the speed of what you're doing. And you'll feel obligated to be doing something else. And and then it just spreads like that, you know? Wait, don't you feel like the hustle's still happening? I feel like if I don't have a good writing package coming out of this, actually, I feel if I don't already have one, I'm a failure. I feel like I'm already a failure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do the, you? Are you having any of that? Yeah, I do have some of that, but I, uh, I realized, you know, somebody posted online something to the effect of like, you don't have to be uh, producing anything during this time. You just have to get through it. That yeah. that's the most important thing. If you're in the position financially and and mentally to actually take on a project, then that's great. But I think a lot of people aren't. And that's also so, fine, you know? My broken brain is like, yeah, but the people who are are gonna be employed afterwards. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. You know, it's uh I know. it's gonna be a whole different 
uh, ball game for a while. Anyways, um, I don't know what any work is going to look like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we were, yeah. yeah you know, like uh, especially live stuff. Um, yeah, I have no idea how that. I don't know how that comes back. I like. Yeah, like, are you even going to want to make people laugh? They're just going to be spitting at you. <laughs> yeah, that, I, yeah. I honestly have had that thought. I'm like that. It feels like a bad, dangerous thing to do to make people all sit in a room and laugh all over each other. Absolutely, and also that you know everybody that I've talked to. I, I've brought up the same thing is there's kind of a conundrum with the microphones because everybody shares that fucking mic at a stand-up show. Uh, oh, they were making us sick to begin with. Yeah, like it's always been gross, but now it's completely off the table, and I don't know how you fix that. I don't know if you have to have a mic for everybody. Everybody has to carry around their own mic. Uh, absolutely everybody carries around their own mic like yeah. like a pool shark yeah absolutely you get a little case for it and uh <laughs> so that people know that you're a performer and and then some people have like a gold microphone and other people are like he's not real anymore you need to have a, <laughs> yeah. you need to have a crappy one yeah. i want the sort of broken sound of a like yeah like a 60s microphone like this. or like a club mic that's yeah. been dropped too many times that's the real <laughs> gritty sound yeah yeah and this this mic was used at the apollo that kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh i can't even you know um uh thomas middleditch and what's his name middleditch and schwartz, schwartz have yeah. this they have this netflix special of them doing improv and i can't bring myself to watch it is that because you're so involved in the world of improv or is it just that it doesn't interest you i'm sad like <laughs> it's such it's a big audience i just don't i mean tom i know i don't know the other guy he you know was we were in toronto at the same time mm -hmm. and he used to do our improv show here and i just can't like so i'm going to have those associations watching it right and it's a huge big happy audience i just i can't i haven't even been watching my friends stand-up specials for that reason yeah i miss i miss crowds too much and that's i should be supporting them but like it makes me so sad yeah and i i'm I've for whatever reason the last while I've been on like watching a specials kick, okay. uh, but I haven't uh, in the past you know year I've I think I've watched one comedy special and then the past month I think I've watched about ten. Oh yeah, yeah, because it's I kind of, I think I might have the reverse of what you have where yeah. hearing the crowd is like almost sentimental. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, I can't believe that. <laughs> I um I write for Because News and like they played a uh compilation show on mm -hmm. the radio so I was I would listen on the weeks that I'm not writing and just see what they've covered and stuff and there was a live audience and I like my reaction was I kind of recoiled it made me really uncomfortable and I was like oh my god how yeah. fucked up are we all going to be after this I don't know you know like I think about um you know, like the the comedy scene after something like World War II was uh -huh. was very robust uh, right. because, you know, like a lot of people, the same thing had been on everybody's minds. So it was easy to write material that mm. that everybody could kind of tune into because 
you know, so many people had been to war and if you weren't out to war, you were probably working on behalf of the war effort. And if you were doing neither, you still had to ration things and all that kind of stuff. So there was like a, a an universality that you don't get in the well, rest of all life. the like, you know, all the Jewish comedy was all like Hitler jokes and stuff. Yeah, but it was he was just such a common reference point. You're right. Yeah. And I think and people were so ready to get back to business uh, in that sense, like, let's, you know, let's have entertainment again. And, you know, in the in the comedy circles, the USO was a big thing during the war. And right. so it's uh, I think once there's a way to do things safely, I think it will come back. Well, and I haven't thought about this, but like, um, so we talk a lot about the the flu pandemic of 1918-1919, but right after that was like a golden age of cinema. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Um, but I yeah. also actors were like, the insurance companies weren't as big a deal and actors were like disposable. So if they got sick. <laughs> that was fine. We're still disposable, but the insurance is more involved. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I just think there's... Uh, like you say, there's some people who this whole situation has worked out for creatively, and then some people that it hasn't, and I think both are fine, uh, mm. you know, because, you, like, there was a thing going around that Shakespeare wrote King Lear during an oh, yeah. epidemic, and so what? <laughs> Great. I know. I know. <laughs> like... <laughs> He would yeah, have written cool. it anyways. That's what he did. That's He was always writing. And so, yeah, an epidemic hit. And then he just wrote another one of his many, many plays. Yeah, he was just... You know how many he wrote not during an epidemic? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's for him, it's like flossing or something. Like, it's just something he was doing every single day. Anyways. Also, you can always find something to line up if you're looking for a coincidence. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, and people love, they love that kind of story because, you know, you hear this uh, narrative about Sylvester Stallone writing Rocky and it only took so many days and he pitched himself to be in it and all this stuff. People love that kind of story. So right. I think people are kind of more addicted to that narrative than they are about the actual work. Yeah, and those narratives are so dangerous. It's like, well, there's also the narrative of somebody like works really hard, gets better, has mm -hmm. some failures, learns from them. Yeah. That's more common and better? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, not yeah. better. Everything's good, but But yeah, the I think this the sense like that's that's more of a a universality, you, you know that kind of story of like slowly working up to something as opposed to <laughs> Shakespeare writing one of his epic plays uh, during this time, you know, he was going to, it didn't matter. He was going to write anyways, you know? Well, but also those usual stories of like, you work hard, you learn, like, shouldn't we sort of be preaching those more because that's a better pathway for people trying to succeed yeah like believing that you're going to sit down write a script and say i star in it and then get famous is a recipe for disaster for the vast majority of people absolutely and you know the only reason that people love these stories is because they're so rare you know like you want to be special yeah and uh you know that that sylvester stallone story you know, people talk about it 
you know, especially in film circles and stuff, as being like something aspirational. But I was like, that that wouldn't, like you say, that wouldn't have worked for most well, people. Well, it makes me mad because I'm like, does that happen to women? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, like, I mean, I've heard stories about, like, Steven Spielberg sneaking on the lot and pretend, like, finding a desk and pretending he was working there when he was, like, a 19 or whatever. And it's like, what? yeah, it's like he got away with that because he was a dude who looked like every other dude that worked on the lot. So right. that's the <laughs> right. only reason that happened. You know, it's not like he was a super genius or anything. He just figured out a way to blend in with the army of dudes that happened to, to run the film industry at the time. So he snuck on and then he ended up just having a job by sitting there and pretending he had one or he just was it was fun and he was hanging out. He was trying. This is I don't know how much of this is true, but he was doesn't matter. I love lies. <laughs> he was uh, he got he found a desk and that, you know, he used his time there to kind of figure out who was who and uh, how to get a script to uh, the people that had the money. So he kind of used it as a little bit of school. Right. Yeah. So everybody um, out there, it's a great time right now during a pandemic to sneak onto a f- movie set. <laughs> yeah, commit fraud of some sort. <laughs> yeah, get yourself on the Warner Brothers lot right now. <laughs> and you know what? If you're not, you're slacking off. <laughs> I don't even know if writers write on the lots anymore. I don't know Maybe either. Do. I don't know anything. Um, how's how's Vancouver feeling? What's the vibe out there? Because I'm never going to get to go back. <laughs> it's um, I I don't I don't know. Like I think it's uh, we're we were first hit in Canada by this pandemic, yeah. so we're kind of like two weeks ahead of everybody else, just because we started earlier. Yeah. Um. So. We're kind of coming around to the the time where you can, whatever they call, like, expand your bubble or whatever, right. which still is only up to, like, five or six people. Um, but it's something, you know. It's uh, There's indications that things are going to somewhat go, that there's some kind of forward movement to to what's going on. Yeah, well, here you can now go to the golf course and take your boat out. Right. Yeah. Which <laughs> which it is way too early. <laughs> and it's also okay. Great. So we took care of the richest two percent of us first. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but I remember when we talked a while ago, you were feeling frustrated that like people weren't adhering to the rules enough and i i following the stories out of vancouver was like yeah they're not it's gonna be terrible but then it wasn't yeah and i think it's i think it's a combination of that we had really good weather so a lot of Mm. people were able to spend time distanced from friends and family but out in a park because like i know my family most of them live in calgary and that the weather's been awful. So the only way you could see anybody was being in the same room as them. And that was out of the question. So um, I think it was easier here just because of the weather. And I, you know, I think people are, everybody, it's a mix. You know, I go to the grocery store, 
there's myself and maybe two other people wearing masks and everybody else isn't you know whoa yeah and that feels really weird that feels really weird and but also our uh kind of health public health expert she's really kind of waffling on the whole mask thing and i just think like what is the harm of making yeah bonnie henry she's she's kind of said like i don't know they're not going to be mandatory and i was like make a mandatory you know that i feel the same way and i've been saying this for a while and i can't figure it out except also when i okay the counter argument is um people get a false sense of security wearing a mask and then they they don't they're not as careful they adjust the mask a lot they touch their faces and i absolutely have been seeing that behavior constantly yes yeah or my favorite Going up to a store where you're going to, like, buy some stuff out of their front door, pull the mask down to talk to them. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I, I've i seen a lot of people not wearing masks and not taking proper precautions. <laughs> right. So, you know, to me, it's like the mask is the most uh, benign kind of thing that a person could do. Just I think so, too. Even if oh, I also. <laughs> I also saw a guy walking with one, just sort of like resting, the top of it was resting under his lower lip while he smoked a cigar. And I was like, okay, you're cool. <laughs> okay, dude, I don't know what your deal is, but yeah, you're cool that as That guy would have been big post-World War II, guy smoking a big cigar. Oh my God, the Jimmy Durante of our generation. <laughs> but I feel like the mask is a way of communicating to the people who are unfortunately have to work during this time you're communicating just like hey i care about you so i'm wearing this mask i feel like it's kind of the least you can do for all these people that uh have to do that you know well and the other thing is so like i've been reading about masks since this began because i was so paranoid about it but in asian countries where mask wearing is just normal on transit Mm -hmm. The philosophy behind it is if everybody wears a mask, then sick people do by default. Right. So all this stuff about like, well, if you're not sick, it doesn't really keep you from getting sick. It's like, yes, but if you are sick, it keeps it absolutely keeps you from spraying droplets all over the place. Yes. So if everyone wears them, the sick people will be wearing them. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's... Yeah, it's just it's something that's been constantly frustrating for me ever since it kind of, you know, landed on the scene as a thing you could do. I just don't understand why everybody doesn't, you know? like And if anyone thinks that they look stupid in a mask, you look really, really stupid to me without one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How are you dealing with the mask? you got a big beard. Um, yeah, I've got a couple different uh, varieties of mask. Uh, so I've got like the more classic disposable ones and then i have a couple of cloth ones and like i like you say i'm not wearing it in the hopes of not getting something i'm wearing it so that when i'm just happen to be talking to somebody or say excuse me in the the drugstore like i don't i'm not spraying droplets that's that's my big thing right um i just wondered if it was like comfortable with oh no it's very uncomfortable okay okay yeah good see it's it's not he's not having fun doing it yeah yeah no it's uh tremendously uncomfortable i feel so conscious of my breathing the whole time uh in a in a disturbing way not in a relaxing kind of yogic way (laughs) 
<laughs> this is not meditation. This is like self-consciousness. Self-consciousness, yeah. And, um, you know, like I want to get in and out of places as fast as humanly possible. And uh, everybody else seems to be, <laughs> I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like everybody else is taking their sweet ass time and kind of browsing. And I, <laughs> I don't understand what these people think is going on. <laughs> okay, here's what I do at the grocery store. I try to, I want to be so organized and just do it as fast as possible. Yeah. So as a result, instead of wandering around slowly, I sort of like jitter around. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I still forget things. I go, oh, I got to get that. So it's like high speed spaced out. Yes. Is what I'm, where I've arrived, which could also be construed as like performative <laughs> speeding up when you clearly are not. <laughs> but yeah. I assure you from the inside, it feels very much like I'm trying and, and failing all the time. Yeah. And I don't like, I know that in general... Uh, people are trying their best, you know? Yes. Um, and, I you hope know, so. I hope so, too. I mean, it just... Uh, but also the thing, the, the kind of scary thing about how well we are kind of doing out here is that it's, I think it's pushed people into a situation where they feel inappropriately comfortable or secure. Yeah. And and I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's a good thing for the long run. Is people going well? You know, I I only know one person who got it, or I don't know anybody who got it, and and it seems like it's only in care homes. So I'll be fine if I go drinking in the park with ten of my friends. You know. Yeah, I'm not at a meatpacking plant. Yeah, Fuck them. yeah, exactly. Like I'm fine, and I think that attitude, especially when it's like a gorgeous day, telling people. You know, after a winter, like, that they have to stay inside and not have fun at the beach or whatever is hard. It's hard for, especially this city. This city just goes uh, completely from one end of the spectrum to the other when it gets sunny. Uh, so people also, are out, you know. But, like, Vancouver also, and, it's, and I should, full disclosure, it is my hometown, so I'm allowed to shit on it a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but just so that listeners know. Um, but it's... The, the the socializing of Vancouver was always more distanced than other places. Yes. Like, it's not a huge club going. It's not like these things don't exist there. But the general culture isn't go to a club, go to a bar. Like, there's a couple, but not in the same numbers as other cities I've lived in. No, and that's true. Like, I think, like... It's like walk around the park with a couple friends slowly and... Yeah, it is. It's just by its kind of nature. It's more of an outdoorsy kind of city right because you and when we say going to the beach if someone's listening and they're not canadian like it's cold at the beach yeah yeah that's <laughs> right not, yeah it's not for the most like like one month that you can wear your bathing suit there comfortably yeah exactly. the rest of the time it's like breezy yeah and it's you know like we can because we're unlike a city where uh where you have to spend so much time indoors in the in the winter which really fosters like a strong bar scene or club yes. scene or whatever yeah we just never have that you know you can always kind of go out in vancouver you know even when it's dead of winter it's just wet you know what i mean yeah you're just walking around soaking wet yeah. but that's cool that's, that's, cool. You, that's how you hang out <laughs> are you feeling like um like people are stealing your sort of image in quarantine 
you already had the beard and the hair. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. There's nothing I can do in the quarantine how's it going? to you know to look any more quarantined. You know what I mean? <laughs> so well, I mean, it looks like you've been at it for longer than two months. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, there's a lot of people who come out with the shaggier hairdos and and decided to grow a beard or. Uh, yeah, Itar has a beard. Does it's he? New. Yeah, it looks great. He's pretty upset about how long his he doesn't like when his hair touches his ears. Okay, fair enough. So we're we're getting into home haircut territory, but are you are you somebody that would be willing to take that on, or is would he <laughs> absolutely? Have to, oh, really? Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I don't care. <laughs> he he's, he might look like shit, but like. Yeah, that that sounds like fun to me. He's not an actor, so he's not as precious about his looks. Right. Yeah. So, and if you ever cut somebody's uh, hair before, uh, I used to cut my brother's hair. Oh, you did when we were young. We, but I was terrible at it. We just <laughs> my mom just didn't didn't take him to the hairdresser. Um. He had big patches. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what was going on. Yeah. We, I don't know. Our finances were up and down. I never knew what was what as a kid. Right. So, but he definitely had the poor kid haircuts for a while. Yeah. At my, at my hands. <laughs> and this <laughs> so was 12 before... year old, 12 year old cutting an eight year old's hair. Yeah. And this was before you could go and look at a YouTube tutorial about how <laughs> oh, to properly oh, yeah. cut hair. You 100%. just had to feel it. I, and this is like, it's like my my um, impulse to be an improviser. I was just like, sure, <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There wasn't anything to tell you like, nah, don't bother. <laughs> no, I know what I know what haircutting looks like. Yeah. when it's being done, I could look like I'm doing that. <laughs> yeah, and I, like I remember there being a an installation at the at the Toronto Fringe that was a person would give you a, a haircut. For two dollars, and the the <laughs> station was called "It'll Grow Back." <laughs> Did you do it? Did you partake? I didn't partake because every time I was there, it was "We'll be back in half an hour" kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, man, they're making they're making two bucks a cut. They're they're doing whatever. Yeah, exactly. But I loved I loved the notion of a place called "It'll Grow Back," and just like somewhere, it's true. yeah, you know. Somewhere where your expectations are are lowered to the right degree, you know. This is also like a letting go of the hustle. Is like just yeah, letting you can have a bad haircut. Yeah, you can have a bad haircut, and like uh, you know, I think a lot of people uh, don't work at home usually, so they don't know that when you do work from home, you generally are in your pajamas <laughs> all day, anyways. And everybody's kind of taken this as being like a real novel thing. But if you work at home, you know that that's how it is all Graham, the time. I got, I got dressed up for this interview, even though we're not on video. <laughs> Just that's to have a sense of structure. <laughs> <laughs> Just to feel like, again, like I have a job. Um, how is the beard painting going? It's going really uh, well. I mean, I got a lot of requests. Um, okay, let's explain it to people. Sure. Uh, I'll let you. Okay, yeah. I uh, I paint using my beard that's on my face as <laughs> a, a brush. So I actually use the beard. Like, I don't cut it off and make a brush out of it. Uh, I use it while it's still attached to my face. Yeah. And, 
you know, I'm uh, I'm I put it out there to see if people were interested in having a commission done because I felt like I really needed to be doing something to help out, even if it was in the smallest way, because I give all the money that I make from them to charities. Yeah. And so I've been really focused on Food Banks Canada because I heard they were really slammed by all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it it kind of fills a little bit of need that I had in my head to be like contributing something to the relief of this situation and also just something to to pass the time, just to have a schedule um, and something that needed to be done. Uh, you know, somebody else was kind of relying on you to get it done makes me able to do it uh, right. in a way that a writing project just doesn't get done because who cares if you write it or you don't, you know? Yeah, <laughs> who knows what's going to ever be made again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but you yeah. can make a painting. You can make a painting and, and you'd send it through the mail. And um, so I put out kind of a call to people just on social media and a lot of people were interested so (laughs) it's like i have quite a few to go still so i will be working on this for months basically i saw i saw one where somebody else got you to paint the logo of your own podcast and send it to them (laughs) which is just a snake eating its beard i guess yeah Yeah, it is it's uh it's inception you know, it's uh... <laughs> it's better than Inception, quite honestly. <laughs> it's more straightforward. Um, yeah, so that's that's it's been uh, it's been nice to have something that I have to do every day. Um, you know that because other I, otherwise I don't know what I don't know what a day would look like if I didn't have that little amount of structure. You know. You can while away hours pretty easily if you have a good internet connection. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tiger King, sure. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I don't know how it's been for you, but some of the the weeks just seem like they rocket by. Like, they just seem like it just passes so quickly. Um, There are days that they feel long, but... In general, I've I've been feeling like the weeks just slip away really, really quickly. Uh, I've been I've had days where I struggle consistently to stay awake. Oh wow! I'm having that. Yeah. Okay. And then so, do you nap or do you just stay the course? If I'm strong, I try to go for a walk, even just around the block to keep me awake. It's definitely emotional. Right. But then some days I've had like two or three naps, which then makes a week feel like it both went really fast and had too many days in it. Right. Yeah. Because each day starts to feel like two or three days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because if the nap is substantial enough, it's like you woke up into another day. Yeah, that's right. And it's it was one of my friends. Yeah, he said like waking up twice in a day is so punishing to yourself. Why would you ever do that? And I was like, oh, and I I've been um, failing against the worst nap of all, the sunset nap. Oh yeah, so like, uh, no, no. So, <laughs> and then when are you waking up? Are you waking up at like one in the morning or something or? No, you wake up at like 10 p.m. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a fucking mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely um 
like yeah people are kind of like getting through their day however they can but i think you're right like there's just kind of like chunk of time where you can just fall asleep and wake up and (laughs) and it's fine nothing's falling apart because of it you know yeah it's uh, then i have days where i'm super active anyway um i i don't know it's just it's and it's true there's like there's it's not a problem like no one really missed you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You weren't supposed to be doing anything particularly. You're supposed to be writing your own projects for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're you're now your own boss. How do you like that? <laughs> you're your own boss writing in this weird existentialist way, writing stuff that like probably won't can't ever get made. Yeah. That's I really don't know what will get made. I imagine animation will probably. Uh, jump to the fore just because it, that's something you can do from home. That, yeah, but what if TV is now just going to be like webcams on otters? It, you know what? It very well could be. Like it's, you know, popular culture's been moving in that direction, anyways. <laughs> yeah. So you know, like maybe this just speeds up the inevitable that you know YouTube stars and TikTok stars are going to be they're going to be who we're watching just because by default, you know. Well, there's some good stuff out there on TikTok. Absolutely. But, you know, like I think you could, it's something that uh, people still look down their nose. It's stuff that's popular on the internet and it's not, you know, you're not properly famous or whatever until you're on TV or in movies. But I think that's going to change pretty quickly. I've seen better stuff coming out of TikTok in a short period of time than, than the YouTube culture turned into. Even in my old lady esteem. Yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, because uh, TikTok like forces you to be uh, brief, where YouTube you can just really sprawl out there for for hours at a time. You know, <laughs> TikTok really does make you boil off the fat. You know. Well, yeah, and you're seeing like like I can't remember her name, and I wish I could, but she's that woman who's like lip syncing Trump speeches. Oh, that's good. I haven't seen it, but Have that's, you... that sounds okay. great. It's, I think Sarah something. I will post a link. Um, I'll send it to you too. Yeah. In her work, it like there's some really beautiful kind of satire and recontextualizing that's going on there. Mm-hmm. So I'm like this. This does seem like a useful move forward yeah and and i do i like the creativity that these constraints uh have have kind of made people figure out how to do entertainment from their own living room and i don't know if that's something that'll stick around after things return to some kind of uh normality i don't know if like the same audience will be there for it but we'll see you know we got years of this, so I think this the stylistic shift is going to stick to some degree. Yeah, and that's for me is uh, is difficult because um, I don't know how to do a lot of that stuff. Like it's a lot of online stuff doesn't appeal to me the way that a live show appeals to me. But you were like, d- didn't you have the first podcast on the internet? <laughs> yeah, we've been around since the beginning of the internet. <laughs> Didn't, isn't there some joke that you guys make about that? So it's Stop Podcasting Yourself is the podcast. And it's, didn't you call yourselves the, the world's first podcast yeah, yeah. or something? It, it, so like on different uh, different forms of media, we've called ourselves the world's first podcast. And also, fun fact is that I've been on the podcast twice, 10 years apart. <laughs> <laughs> Just to put into context how long they've been at this. That's right. And we it's think- always been a treat, both times. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'll see you in my 50s. <laughs> um, but that's how long it's been on. But like that's that that still works, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean in that And regard, you know how to you know how to do that. Yeah, and that's that's something that I've been doing a long time and so there's kind of an automatic uh, transition, you know, we've we have to do it separately. We can't do it in the same room, but we're we're able to keep it going. Um, has it has it changed? It's changed just a, a little bit. I think it's a lot harder for Dave to edit and put it together in a way that being in the same room oh, yeah. isn't. And I'm sure you know because uh, well, you have to do It's this. all I know now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I started this thing on January 1st and immediately had to learn all of this. <laughs> yeah. So it, you know that it's, it's uh, a bit of a protracted process to make it sound okay um and you know dave really is quite good at all this stuff and will spend the time to make it sound good but i think it's a lot of time to make these things you know sound all right um yeah i don't know what i'm doing and (laughs) it's it takes a lot of time yeah yeah exactly so, you know, like, yeah, that thing, that podcast has been going for so long that it's just automatic in the way that we're just like, well, we'll just keep doing it. We'll just keep putting it out. But uh, trying to figure out how to be funny with no audience where you're just talking to a screen is not yeah. a skill that I uh, have <laughs> practiced at for any uh, amount of time, you know? Okay, what about this? What if, like, it's like a Zoom call where you can hear the audio of the whole audience in your ears and earbuds, but you just talk to an empty screen? (laughs) Sorry, that might be like a Black Mirror nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, there was a show in L.A. that this, I can't remember the guy who ran it, but it was called uh, Comedy Purgatory or Seven Minutes in Hell, maybe it was called. And it was you were in a room with a camera and you were delivering (laughs) your act to nobody, but a live audience was in another room watching it. Oh, my God. And and uh, it was like a really popular show in L.A. And just that's what that's what trying to do comedy to a TV screen or computer screen feels like. It's like you can do that on stage. If you had noise canceling headphones and bright enough lights, you could do it live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I'm I'm sorry. I mean, I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry that how bummery this is for the live standups. Yeah, it's just it's a thing where, like I say, it will come back in some form, but in the meantime. Uh, everybody's got to get creative or, or be kind of adaptable to what else they can do or how how they can make it work, you know? Um, I'm going to ask you the question of the podcast. In all of this, has any has there been any glimmers of hope lately? Anything got you yeah. feeling good? Yeah? Yeah. I mean, obviously, um, everybody who has had to work through this I truly do admire and uh, mm-hmm. and I also feel like I've heard it over and over again that people are like, like, you know, we just this is what we do for a job. So we're not trying to be performatively good. We're just this is us having to go to work. And, uh, you know, I think that's like uh, it's it's got to be so hard. 
for for those people, but they're doing it and they're doing it really well. And, you know, that has made all the difference, I think, in this uh, situation is that there have you been mean people. Like, you, you mean frontline workers? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah like, um, you know, they've done such a good job and, uh, you know, like we're we're the ones that benefit from from that good work. Right. Yeah. Like society hasn't collapsed because people are going to the grocery store to work. No, exactly. Like, and that's, yeah. that's would be the alternative seemingly if people were like, well, I'm not, I don't care. I'm not going to work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Th- then where would we be? We'd be in big, big trouble. So yeah, the kind of the frontline workers, I found them to be very uh, inspiring and I'm glad that uh, they're able to keep a job, and I'm sorry that it has to be during this time when it must feel very dangerous to even just have a job, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that has been uh, really good. And also, I uh, regularly watch the news from Victoria, B.C. Um, okay. And it's very... Victoria, if you don't know, if the listeners have never been, it's uh, it's very quaint place and uh, a lot of older people there and every night on the news they have a thing called the Swartzky sign-off and it's okay. it's like a local news story you know like heartwarming local news story and they've just been fantastic every single night he's knocking it out of the park <laughs> there was one about a guy who who had a litter of puppies and was having trouble keeping them corralled there was one <laughs> one about an owner whose dog loves running alongside of the car, and so they showed that happening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was one about a kid who raised a lot of money by uh, doing these hearts and selling them through the mail or something. It's just like that kind of stuff is – I love it, and it feels like it's from a bygone era, but I love it now more than I ever loved it before. And was this happening before the pandemic and now it's just kicked up into high gear? Yeah, this was a regular (laughs) on the news every night. You could watch the Vancouver news and then I would switch over and watch the end of the uh, (laughs) Victoria news because that would be on it. Well, we're going to post those because people need it. And, you know, it's nice. It's nice when someone had their bullshit down and then they can. It's even more useful now. Totally. Yeah. Like this. You know, you see other news shows struggling to create the kind of content that this guy was, you know, doing in his sleep. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Well, Graham, where can people find you? I guess don't ask for a beard painting because he's too backed up. <laughs> but if you are interested, it's there at beardpaintings.com. And, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, if you want to take a look and uh, if you're interested, there's quite a wait. But uh, I'll take on whatever I can. And, you know, Stop Podcasting Yourself is the name of the podcast I have. And then I'm at Graham Clark on Twitter. And I'm at Graham Clark Was Taken on Instagram. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's that's all the places you can find me. Uh, that's wonderful, Graham. Thank you so much for chatting. Oh, I'm thanks I'm going to go back to me. being sad after this, but it's made me really happy. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is the best. Um, I'm going to go look at those Victoria videos now. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. 
Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> The H Word Podcast is proud to be part of the Shop family of productions. Follow the shop on Instagram at the underscore shop to. Artwork this week by Liz Aston, and our theme music, as always, by Laura Barrett. For information on all our artists and guests, please follow us everywhere at the H Word Pod, or sign up for our newsletter at thehwordpod.com. Let's share a take on.